Today's show is brought to you by Drift Outfitters at 199 Queen Street East in downtown Toronto, Ontario. Drift Outfitters is packed full of fly fishing gear, tying materials, clothing, hats, bags, and more. Rob and the guys down at the shop have you covered for all your fly fishy needs. Whether you're taking a trip to northern Ontario or heading on a massive journey to the heart of Africa to fish tigerfish on the Zambezi River, Drift Outfitters has got you. Stop by the shop at 199 Queen Street East or visit them online at driftoutfitters.com to take advantage of their fantastic online store and free shipping on Canadian orders over 100 bucks. Hello and welcome to another episode of So Fly. It's uh, mid-January. Doesn't feel that way though. Up in here in Ontario, we we're getting lots of rain and it's like 12 degrees outside, which is insane. Uh, my name is Mitch and we've got Aldo. Hello. We've got Yelma. Hey everyone. And we have a, a very exciting guest on the line today. Um, somebody that we met a little while back and um, he's agreed to come on the show today. We're pretty excited about that. Um, we've got Joseph, who is the uh, editor-in-chief and creator, uh, creator of Tail Magazine and Strung Magazine, um, two magazines outdoor-focused. Um, and uh, we've actually recently had some, some work published by you guys in Tail Magazine. So uh, really excited to have you on the show today, Joseph. How's it going? Great. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. Like, uh, we're really excited to talk to you today about your uh, fly fishing life and, and how you got started and also just like the magazines and how you got into that world. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I'll tell you about the unfortunate mishap that led me into publishing uh, shortly. <laughs> but, Absolutely, uh, yeah. Whereabouts are you calling in <laughs> from today? Because we've got you on the line, so we're actually uh, Skyping because we're not in the same place. Whereabouts are you located? Um, we're based in Miami Beach, Um small town in southern Florida, um, only about 90,000 people, but uh, international destination spot. So for some reason, everyone in the world knows it. Nice. But. Amazing. How's the weather down there? <laughs> well, yesterday it was blowing about 35 or 40, wow. um, which, <laughs> yeah, um, no rain, but just really harsh winds. And it's been uncharacteristically cool down here. So we've had, um, we've had days in, you know, 70 to 75 degrees which is unheard of Jeez. and um yeah it's been it's been actually quite nice being that i'm originally from pennsylvania so oh, right on. getting a true winner for a change yeah yeah really yeah okay so how about we start with because you're you're saying originally from pennsylvania now you live in miami how did you so you came from pennsylvania how did you get into fly fishing where did it all begin for you and when well um my father uh was from italy from a um small port city on the uh, west coast uh, near Pisa called Livorno and um, you know he he was a fisherman so from as soon as I could you know functionally use a rod he had one in my hand so I probably started fishing with him and this is conventional fishing not fly fishing Um, from probably about age four uh, age five um, on a fairly regular basis we we had a home in uh, South Jersey so I would fish for you know, uh, flounder, striped bass, um, you know, weak fish. And we do a lot of jetty fishing and a lot of fishing in the bay. Right. So it began, it um, began on salt water then. Oh yeah. That's it cool. It started in salt water. Right on. And I had a cousin who, uh, would come down. It was, um, my, my mom's sister's son and he would come down all the time and, you know, one day he showed up with this really cool looking reel that didn't look like anything else 
I'd ever seen. Yeah. And, you know, he had a fly rod. His pole was longer. You know, he had this really cool reel. And he was actually fishing. You know, we were just chucking bait into the water and standing there. And he was actually working the, the surf. And uh, he came down seasonally for uh, for weak fish and um, and striped bass. So that was my first introduction to it. And at that point, I was probably you know, around 10 or 11. Um, it didn't really take until, you know, probably in my 20s where I started buying my own gear and, um, you know, started fishing for brook trout, rainbows, and, you know, all you know, all the fish of Pennsylvania in the freshwater as well. Yeah. Man, you so you spent some amazing, I mean, like, what an introduction to the sport, first of all, and then getting to fish Pennsylvania as sort of like a warmer to trout. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Some nice water there. Yeah, you know, and... Um, what was really nice is um, I, I went to medical school in Philadelphia, so we had the Schuylkill, which is not the best fishery in the world. But um, I did my residency in central Pennsylvania in a small town called York, Pennsylvania. Mm. And, you know, 10 minutes from my house there was a, um, a cold-fed uh, stream called Cadoras Creek. And um, there were native brookies there. And, you know, an hour was yellow breeches. and. Yeah. You know, an hour and 15 was Yellow Creek. So I had some legendary Pennsylvania streams all within reach. Yeah. And uh, that was pretty awesome. And at the, about the same time, I started really um, coming down to Miami more frequently because um, I had friends here who were also doing their residency at Mount Sinai. So I would sleep on their sofa and book a charter and, and you know, go pound the tarpon and then head back to Pennsylvania oh, <laughs> and, uh, and fish for brookies. So I had the best of both worlds for a while. Yeah. That's not a bad setup at all, man. Um, so what was it about fly fishing that like got you intrigued to, to keep going with it? Cause you know, you were fishing, um, terminal gear, like in the beginning, like everybody kind of does. What was it about fly fishing that, that pulled you in? Honestly, I would have to say that the challenge of it, you know, and, um, the activeness of the sport. I mean, when you're, I, I've done the deep sea charters, you know, I've done the conventional fishing and you're really just dropping bait in the water and hoping yeah. something hits. Yeah. You know, there's, there's very little, you know, stimulation. There's very little excitement. You don't really see what's happening. You're just kind of waiting for it to happen and then reacting to it. Yeah. And I think what really pulled me into the freshwater or the saltwater fly fishing is the, um, you know, the sight casting. I, um, being from Pennsylvania, we also used to hunt deer, which kind of led a little bit to, um, to what happened in our second publication when we brought in the hunting and the upland, uh, part. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's for me, saltwater fly fishing is the fishing equivalent of hunting because mm -hmm. you're spotting your prey, you know, and you have to deliver, you know, the fiddle blow, which is the fly right to the, the jaws. Yeah, and yeah. It, it kind of it, it creates excitement from the minute you see the fish yeah. until you know the minute you release the fish. It's not just you know we caught one great you know you didn't see it <laughs> you don't you didn't see the strike you didn't see anything um, exciting you just saw your line bend and you hooked a fish and you're reeling it up and it, it's almost no challenge. Yeah, and not to say that conventional fishing is not challenging because it can be yeah. but for me the the appeal was the hunt yeah. and the chase yeah i think the parallels between hunt the hunt and and fly fishing is uh are really strong for sure i mean i love that how you talk about like we were just in, when we were just in texas there and, and we recently did that article with you sent some pictures 
um, it was very much like that. You're hunting those fish because it's so sight fishing, right? Especially on those skiffs. And that it's so exciting to see those fish take and, you know, that whole moment play out. I mean, it's kind of impossible not to get addicted to it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it, it's funny because my wife, who not a big fisherman, um, she's a photographer. Um, she's also a physician as well. And um, she didn't understand it until I brought her out and she caught a tarpon and she's like, that was so cool. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and, yeah, it almost... Uh, funny because her first tarpon almost jumped into the boat oh, man. <laughs> causing her to like kind of dive sideways what? <laughs> and she's only about 90 95 pounds yeah. 98 pounds she's tiny size of so the this fish was probably as big as her oh man and jumps up once and she was like amazed and then it jumped toward her and she kind of lunged and said here you do it and i'm like no stay on the rod stay yeah. on the rod she eventually landed it so Man, talk about yeah, some great. talk about some like high action fishing. Oh my god, <laughs> actually dodging the fish—that's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, well, fortunately, it didn't hit her. It probably would have squished her. <laughs> <laughs> Man, tarpon. Oh my god. So growing up, then, um, like, what was your favorite fish to chase? I mean, Pennsylvania is obviously like trout and things like that. But like, yeah, what what was your favorite? What was your favorite fish to to go after? I I was kind of addicted to. Um, striped bass and this is another strong mention but um you know i i being being on the jersey shore it's not known for its surfing but um we did get pretty significant waves periodically especially when a, a you know storm was off of florida moving up the coast we get some sizable waves yeah um so for me it was you know walking down to the beach surfboard in one arm you know and mm. fishing gear in the other arm and just plunking it down on the beach, hitting the jetties and fishing for a while, um, you know, and then going out, hitting the surf, and then coming back and fishing again. So uh, for me, striped bass, I would have to say, because yeah. that, that was mm-hmm. always the elusive fish <laughs> that, um, that you wanted to catch off, off the beach. Yeah, it's such a cool fish, man, striped bass. I've always, I'm hoping to catch one in the coming coming years because they're so cool looking and that big migration they make too is just like amazing you know we jersey is um not well known um as, as far as a destination but new jersey has some amazing fishing especially in cape may and brigantine yeah um that's near atlantic city i know you guys are canadian so you probably know atlantic city which is a big gambling center but um mm-hmm. all the adjacent beaches and nearby places really have you know saltwater estuaries and and you know and shallows in the in the bay and i mean it's just amazing it's kind of like florida um but a cooler temp and a, and uh kind of a different fishery but the same kind of fishery because there's so much there um and you can actually get the migrating striped bass and yeah i mean it was it, it was a good place to grow up oh yeah i can imagine so especially with all that water to explore and I guess that was your first kind of, and like you said earlier, it was your first kind of foray into saltwater as well. And, and now saltwater is a big part of your life, right? Yeah, it's, um, it's primarily what I do. I go, on, um, I go on one or two trips a year where um, I still have many friends in Pennsylvania, so we'll plan something and maybe yeah. I'll go up, fly into Philadelphia, and then uh, from there, you know, we'll venture somewhere, we'll you know, either go out west or we'll we'll stay local and do a local trip and maybe go. We've done New York, um, Salmon River, which is very overrated. Um, 
very crowded. We, we do at, the, at least one or two trips a year. Have yeah. you guys fished the uh, the uh, salmon salmon river? Yep. So, yeah, it gets uh, in Pulaski. Yeah, so I fished the the fall run once just to check it out, and obviously it was insane. You know, guys with baseball yeah. helmets on because they're throwing weights the size of your fist, and it's like Jesus, like you know, it's just craziness. Yeah, and I mean, you know, there's like basically a foot of space to squeeze in. You know, it's yeah. it's just it's so crowded. I mean, I I can't see how people enjoy it. Sorry, Pulaski. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful beautiful area stretch of water like really nice but the, the crowding at times of the year get really rough though for sure yeah and and people i've noticed over the years i mean i've probably fished it for the last decade um uh, a handful of times and i every time i go it's more crowded and really? people are kind of rude it, yeah. it's not like mm-hmm. other experiences where you know it's a gentleman's sport so yeah. you you go out and you make some room for someone on the creek but for some reason there, you know, people stake out and they crowd you and, you know, they, they get a little hostile. Mm-hmm. You yeah. might be on a fish and they'll walk right over you to cast and say, come on, See, what this are you is, doing? It's, <laughs> a, it's an interesting topic, actually, and it's, it'd be nice to touch on this a bit because, like, of course, it's a overcrowding and, and just overfishing. I mean, I'm seeing more and more articles or just people posting on Facebook and blogs and things like that about overcrowding on rivers, especially in, in the U.S., um, and it's always been a problem, you know, and we, we have overcrowding here in, in Southern Ontario as well, but, um, you know, etiquette and things are always top of mind. You said you've been going to that area for about 10 years, the, Pla- in the Pulaski area, Fish the Salmon? Yeah, 10 or 12 years. And over that period of time, like, you've seen, like, a pretty big change in, in overcrowding, eh? Like, it's really ramping up and not really slowing down? That's, yeah, I've been there probably six times in the last 12 years. Yeah. And the first time I went, it wasn't too bad. I mean, we found an area, we walked upstream, you know, we found an, uh, an area um, where we could spay cast and, right. and we were gone for, you know, um, you know, for some recreational fishing, not, you know, yeah. jostling for, for space. Um, and it was pretty nice, but, you know, a few years after that, we went up to that same spot, you know, and there were people there and everywhere we went, there were people. We, at one point, um, this was the last trip. I believe it was probably about three or four years ago. I don't remember exactly. Um, but my buddy Matt and I we just cut the trip short. I mean, we walked, we walked for miles and we couldn't find one area where we could get in there where there wasn't someone kind of giving us that, that, you know, stink eye because we were invading their space. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a wide open space and it's public. Like make some room for your fellow angler. Yeah. Um, I know. I mean, aside from the etiquette, which is a thing, it's just like a huge topic. Why do you think we're seeing this kind of resurgence or this growth, this such rapid growth in, in fly anglers on rivers, especially in places like upstate New York and even Pennsylvania, I'm sure well, you can get some crowding too. And why is it that we're yeah, seeing that? Um, yeah, yellow breeches used to be, um, you know, during the week he used to be able to go <laughs> and uh, and have some, some space. And now even during the week, it's pretty crowded. But I, I think that's kind of a testament to um, to fly fishing itself. I mean, I, I think the sport is growing. And everyone knows it's a small industry, and they talk about how small it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, um, the stats from the Outdoor Association said there's like 3.8 million um, fly anglers in the U.S. And... I think most of them used to be just recreational, maybe once or twice a year by mm-hmm. fishermen. And I think people are just doing it more. I think, 
you know, society is kind of leaning toward work less, enjoy life more. And I think people are just taking more days off. They're just fishing more and more people are coming into the sport, which is great for us. But yeah, um, not not so great for the rivers. And, and you know, I notice it here. I, I don't fish. I have a skiff that I keep down at, um, at Crandon Marina. And, um, you know, I, I, I run my trips out of there. I, I, you know, I fish the Upper Keys, Biscayne Bay. I go down as far as Key Largo, even a little south of there. Yeah. And I won't, um, I won't go out on a Saturday or Sunday. Right. right. There's just so many recreational boaters and jet skiers out there. It's just mayhem. Yeah. Um, but even during the week, you know, I used to not see any boats, and now I'm starting to see boats pretty frequently. Wow. Eh? Mm. So do you think we can have this growing recreational fishing industry and have healthy waters? Like, can the two exist? Are you optimistic about that future? And what needs yeah, to change? I, you know? I, I know we can. Well, I, I mean, I think more anglers on the water um, is a good thing for the environment. And I've actually written about this, but, um, you know, we're really the guardians of the water because when you think about the people that are on the jet skis, mm-hmm. you know, they got their, you know, their plastic water bottles, they got their, their coolers latched onto the back with like cans. And yeah. you really think they're hauling all that trash back. Yeah. Yeah, so there, there's one flat, um, where the, um, recreational boaters down here, they'll, um, they'll anchor up and they'll, you know, they'll crank up some music from one of the boats and they'll swim. It's like beautiful. It's like white sand and there's a little boat channel. I think it's in between sands key and, um, and ragged. It might be ragged. I, I don't know exactly. I mean, I, I could take you there, but I can't describe it very well. Yeah. Um, but anyway, there it's a great fishery. Um, there's always bonefish on that flat. Right. And the reason why is because all the debris, like chicken wings and stuff, we call it chicken wing flat because <laughs> they, they leave their food. You know, they throw their food in the water, which is fine because it's organic. It'll right. dissolve. And that, and that brings the crabs. And then... Right. You know, that brings the bonefish and the permit. So it's actually, they're kind of like chumming for us. Oh, that's um, a good thing. <laughs> and I guess back to the original question, the, yeah, I think more, more anglers on the water is good for the environment because we're the ones who are calling people out. We're the ones who are picking up the trash. We're the ones that these jet skiers might not throw their can, you know, behind them when they see that there's, you know, a bunch of people on a boat you know, fishing, and they know we're environmental, you know, conservationists, um, they, they, they may think twice before they do something stupid. And if they do, you know, cell phones are rampant. You snap a picture of their Florida registration number on their jet ski, and, and you say, this guy's throwing stuff in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a video, yeah. you know, yeah. or here's a photo. Yeah. And, you know, these people get fined, and it's significant. So, right. I, I, I think it is sustainable, and I think it's actually a good thing because the more anglers that are out there, the more like-minded people and enlightened people that are out there rather than these people who just think, you know, the ocean's their, you know, toilet. Yeah, I know. It's true. And it's about, yeah, like you say, it's about inspiring others to act yeah. appropriately as well, right? So would you say then um, heading into your magazines, is that an inspiration or is that a driver for the magazines and why you created the magazines? Uh, yeah, that's a huge part of it. I actually used to just kayak fish because um, the fishery is great down in Florida, and I, yeah. you know, I can't yeah. talk much, say enough about it. Um, it's not as good as it was 20 years ago, but I don't think anything is. Um, 
but I used to fish in a kayak, and um, it looked like one of those trash barges. I don't know if you've ever been to Costa Rica, but they have um, mm-hmm. these trash barges yeah. that take trash from the Finger Islands, and you know they're these long, flat boats, and they're just loaded with shit. And um, that's what my kayak looked like coming back. I mean, I pick up all those styrofoam coolers and you know stuff floating, and I had more crap on my boat, you know, than than I ever wanted, but. You know, I started doing this, and when it became a regular thing, every time I went out, I'm picking up debris, I'm, I'm scooping up trash bags, you know, floating plastic bags and stuff. I said, this is crap. I mean, what's going on? Don't people realize what they're doing? So I started this website um, called Flyfish Bonehead, and it was an informational site, but it also had, like, a conservation message. Um, we were plugged in with the BPT, the Bonefish and Tarpon Trust, um, and got a lot of support from Aaron Adams and, and his team. And, you know, it was honestly, it, looking back at it, you know, almost a decade ago, um, it was a great idea, but it wasn't executed very well. Um, but it worked. I mean, we had, that's what enabled us to launch TL Fly Fishing Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, that okay. was going to be the draw to get people to the website, to get more information about the fishery and conservation. Um, so, that's how it all began. And, you know, Tail was initially a digital publication that was free. So after about two two years, you know, we had like 36,000 digital readers, which is unheard of (laughs) without really any advertising. So it was pretty cool. And that told me that, you know, there, there's an audience out there that's looking for this. Yeah. Yeah. And coincidentally, what happened right about the time I started um, Tail, I think we launched Tail in September of 2012 and then um in january of 2013 fly fishing in salt water which was the only printed publication for saltwater fly fishing folded they um they basically just merged with one of their other publications and they were off the map mm-hmm. so now I, I attribute the growth to you know that magazine disappeared so now all the people who were involved had nothing except tail so I, I think that's why we grew so quickly. It was, you know, fortuitous and kind of serendipitous that I did it right at the time that they folded. Yeah. So it was like a transfer. Right. And then then we started printing it. We realized that we're never going to be a legit, you know, real magazine until we put it on paper because paper is permanent and digital can go away in, in you know, a nanosecond. So, um, so we started printing it in 2016 and... Um, and here we are now with a second publication and, you know, steady growth for the last three or four years. So it's been a, it's kind of a cool ride. That's great. So did Tail proceeded strong then? Correct. Um, Tail started, like I said, in 2012 digitally and um, 2016 in print. And we launched the first issue of Strung in uh, December of 2018. Mm. Oh, so fairly recently then. Yeah. So, yeah, Strong just had its one-year anniversary last month. Nice. So Congratulations. It's just a, thanks. It's awesome. Just a baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great you had that kind of reception, like, so quickly. I mean, that's that's awesome to see, you know? Yeah, it, it was kind of surprising, and I think it was misleading because I, I was like, wow, people love what I'm doing. It's like, nah, they don't have another option. <laughs> it was, uh, was kind of comical. I was like so pumped and then i realized well you know 
if you're starving and the only thing you can eat is a dandelion, you're going to eat that dandelion. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's really cool. What, what, what were some of the challenges you faced when starting up, you know, those magazines? Because it's like you kind of just start making stuff, right? And just hope that people pick it up. Like you said, it was all basically word of mouth. Yeah. So the big, biggest challenge, I think, was I didn't know a damn thing about publishing. I'd never published <laughs> anything in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, you know, it, it, it's like that guy in the field whose friend get, gets hurt and he's on the phone with EMS. And what do I do? I, yeah. I cut where I, you know, it, it was like that kind of situation. Yeah. It's like, I literally knew nothing about publishing, oh, that's awesome. nothing about the, the back end of it, the front end of it. I, you know, I thought all we had to do is pick paper, yeah. put some stories together and hand it to a printer and, and they take care of everything. But yeah, you know, that that's not even scratching the surface of what's involved. Wow. Well, proof that you, you can fake it till you make it, I guess. Yeah. Learn along <laughs> the way. So how did you, so what was, well, what were you doing then to like, you know, kind of figure things out? Um, what I did was I, I got myself, it's a long process and, um, I won't bore you with all the details, but you know, you make a magazine great. Well, how do you get it out in front of people? Well, you need to distribute it. Okay. How do you do that? Well, you need to get into retail chains. So I, you know, that's kind of the abbreviated version, but what I did was I hired myself a, um, you know, a, um, distribution and, um, circulation manager. Yeah. And this was a guy who had a ton of experience. And then, um, I connected with a guy in Delaware who, um, had been in the print industry for forever for his entire career. Um, I think he was a sales rep for various printers, but he knew everybody in the industry and had a ton of knowledge. And he was, he was a really good guy and, um, really taught me a lot. Yeah. So between those two people, um, you know, I kind of made a leap of faith and I said, okay, I trust you. Um, let's do this. So they told me what I needed to do from the creative side. And then, um, then, um, a longtime friend of mine, Sean, um, Abernathy, he, he was doing all the design. He was doing all the, you know, the hard work as far as putting the, the copy together and yeah. making it look good and then getting it ready for the printer. And then I had these other two who were helping me with distribution and I signed with a, a Canadian company actually called Distacor. Nice. So I signed a contract with them um, for distribution and we got the book into Barnes and Noble, um, Books a Million, nice. uh, and your ne- neck of the woods, Indigo. Yep, Indigo. Um, yeah. And then we also got um, Bass Pro Shop. Um, no Cabela's, even though Bass Pro Shop owns Cabela's, I don't know why. And then um, a whole bunch of other specialty stores. Um, And then we also did a fly shop program where we offered the fly shops um, basically the book at cost just to get it out there um, in order to um, to make it visible. And, you know, the first issue um, wasn't that great, you know, uh, sales wise and distribution wise. But, you know, we fine tuned it over the last couple of years. And, you know, now we're we're pretty much everywhere and, um, and the sales are, you know, up there with the other publications. I mean, Barnes and Noble does a ranking report quarterly and tails consistently in the top 10 of their fishing magazines. Wow. So, Amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's nice that, um, that I got some good help early on. I don't think I could have done it alone. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it's it, it, it's not what you know; it's who you know. Sometimes, yeah, absolutely. Kudos to your uh, designer. I mean, editorial is an incredibly hard thing to lay out, and your magazine is beautiful. Yeah, we just we just got it up right now. We're looking at past issues and also looking at Strong. Strong looks great. Yeah, Strong. Strong was meant to be, you know, the um, the big brother of um, of Tail because Tail is a niche publication. It's really focused only on saltwater fly fishing. Right. But Strong is a little more diverse, um, bringing in the hunting, um, you know, and the the mountain sports as well. Mm. And the the impetus for that was I, I was so tired of hearing, you know, all the Colorado companies say, you know, we love your magazine, but you know, salt water is only about 10% of our, our, you know, sales. Um, so I said, all right, well, I'll give them fresh water. So (laughs) I did the freshwater book. Um, I did the upland stuff, which brings in everything that I'm all about and, you know, the surfing, the, the hiking, the camping. So it just brings the outdoors in because I mean, you don't just go fishing. You yep. go fishing, camping, hunting. You, mm-hmm. you you do all that stuff. When you're outside, you're outside. You totally. want to do it all. Totally. So that that's what Strong's all about. Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. The, the content's amazing. How did you go about starting out getting content, and how do you get your content now? I mean, uh, in the early days, was it you doing a lot of, like, the writing and then just reaching out to people? Yeah, in the early days, um, no one really knew who we were, so yeah. no one really gave us any... Uh, no one really helped us at all. Yeah. Um, John Melfi was a friend of mine who um, unfortunately passed away um, at a very young age. Um, and he, um, he and I wrote most of the content and then we reached out to other people um, that we knew, you know, through, through fly fishing and, you know, people were like, yeah, I'll contribute. And they never did. And some did, some didn't. It was always hitting this because you know, how, you know, how this goes. It's like, if it's not life or death, then it's not a priority. Yeah. yeah. Um, so John and I did a lot of it. And then gradually we started getting more and more people. Like I mentioned, um, Aaron Adams did a really great um, bonefish prey piece early on, um, which gave us a, a lot of credibility. And, you know, I, I tapped some of the guides I know in Florida, um, some of my friends who are very fishy in Pennsylvania who do fish fresh and salt. Um, so, Gradually over time, um, we started getting more contributors, and now you know, it's now we have national figures. I mean, I think in the upcoming issue we have uh, Ted Williams, uh, we had Aaron Carollo. Um, you know, we're getting some big name people. Tom Rosenbaum has written for Strong, awesome. so I, I yeah. Um, so I, I think over the years I've kind of proved myself, if that makes any yep. sense. But totally. I, I, I think with the fly fishing industry, you know, people come and go yearly and, you know, right. Oh, I have a great idea. I have, um, you know, a great, this, a great, that. And then, you know, six months later, they're not doing it anymore because it didn't take hold. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the, you know, the time test is what I passed. And so I've been around for seven years and I know everyone in the industry by, you know, reaching out to them, connecting with them, going to the shows. We've been to IFTD. Yeah. Um, we didn't go last year because it was in Colorado and it, it was kind of a little difficult for us to get there because um, we had other trips planned. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you go there, you meet everyone and um, and it's a good time. And when you have some face time with people, um, you know, it makes a big difference. So I think that's how we've grown it over the years. 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry to hear about your friend John. I mean, it's um, terribly sad. It's a really special thing when you can create, you know, something with a friend. Yeah, and yeah, I met John on a plane because I was, uh, he was coming back from his honeymoon with his wife, Asha, yeah. and I was um, going Miami to Philadelphia. I was making my run back home. I was still living in Pennsylvania back then. Yeah. And I was putting uh, a fly rod up into the overhead. Yeah. And um, he's like, he's like, was that a Scott? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, which one? And we started talking about the rod. And then, you know, we started talking more. And he's an avid fisherman. And, um, and he was a lawyer. And then I was a doctor. So we exchanged numbers. And we became like, best of friends after that that's awesome went on a couple of fishing trips together several fishing trips together and and he came on board and really you know john was a lot more literate than me being a lawyer because you know doctors just scribble stuff that nobody can read <laughs> and uh so john was kind of like my my proofreader and rewriter um so it was a good combo yeah it's awesome and then just sheer hard work and hitting the ground and yeah i mean it's all about credibility right just getting people to believe in you mm-hmm yeah, and I, I think it's also, you know, doing the right thing, too, because, you know, there's a, a strong environmental focus and a strong yeah. conservation mm-hmm. focus in both publications. Um, the the one-year anniversary cover of Strong actually um, has a, a climate change piece from Sebastian Copeland, who's an um, nice. adventurer-slash-activist. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of publications that are um, doing stuff like that, like that you know, divisive and, and controversial yeah. on the cover. Totally. So they're scared, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, you're going to piss off half the people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you could potentially chase off half of your audience, but you know, we, we do what we think is right. Yep. And we do what we think is, is best for, you know, the sport and the fisheries, yep. you know, and the planet. And, you know, I think people notice that and they respect it. So that's kind of a cool thing. I mean, it's, it's an, I think it's an awesome thing. I think that, like I said earlier, hearing and reading all those articles about, you know, the doomsday of fly angling and our rivers, more people showing up, killing everything. But like, I think publications like yours, like tail and strung where you can lay out and have opinions about no more people on the rivers means, you know, if we just have the right attitudes, it can actually be hugely beneficial. So I think it's awesome that you're doing this and, and, um, and the industry's growing and people are sort of, you know, um, uh, being receptive to these kinds of messages. So we hope they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good point too. you know, kind of, I think we've realized the, over the past, I mean, we've been doing this since 2016 and, uh, ish. And, uh, we've noticed in the past two years where we've been connecting with the community and going out to, you know, like local, you know, fly shop meetings or, or little community events or, or even hosting community events. It's always nice to put, get in front of people. Yeah. You know, instead of like like you said, like it, it kind of like breaks down a barrier there. You know, as it pull, pulls people from obscurity in in front of you, and you can actually bounce ideas off them, which is great. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I think the more awareness we have, because you know, I, I mentioned my father was an immigrant from Italy. That mm-hmm. man ate everything he pulled out of the water. Yeah, <laughs> it, it yep. didn't matter if it was like a, a an old boot. He would fillet it somehow and, and eat it. Awesome. Um, but, you know, he, 
I didn't learn conservation and, you know, and ecology and, you know, life cycle. I didn't learn any of that stuff from him. Mm-hmm. It came from my cousin, who was the fly fisherman. It was, you know, he understood the migrations and that sort of thing. My dad was just chucking bait in the water, yeah. you know, and catching food. Yeah. And, and I think there's the more fly anglers we have that understand the ecology, because if, you can't fly fish if you don't understand the ecosystem. Yep. Because you can't you can't create the the mimics that you tie on the end of your tippet and throw it out there. So, I, I think fly fishing in general is very conducive to um, conservationism because yep. you know you, you you have to know stuff and you have to be enlightened at least to a certain degree about uh, about ecosystems and and sustenance and and that sort of thing. Otherwise, it, it's it's you're completely ineffective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. I mean, it's a more holistic approach to fishing, right? Fly fishing, to your point. Absolutely. So where do you see um, Tail and Strong going into the future? Like, what are your goals and ambitions and hopes for those magazines? Um, <laughs> um, it's one of those things where, you know, I love being a doctor, but it's a really hard job. And I, I'm an ER um, doctor, emergency medicine. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's a grind. So yeah. you go in and, you know, you, you're seeing death and you're seeing people at their worst all the time. And it's, it, it's really hard on you. So mm-hmm. honestly, my goal is to, um, make these successful enough to where I can, you know, kind of pull away from medicine a little bit, still do it, but yeah. not have to do it as much as I do. Yep. Um, and also, um, you know, I'd like to be able to do my ideal situation is to be able to have um, both of these publications do something relevant for not just be a mouthpiece or a media outlet for conservation, um, you know, anglers and hunters, but but actually do something. You know, if there's enough revenue um, that comes in to, to, you know, buy a chunk of land or buy a section of river, or do something and, and, you know, protect it. Um, that's, I, that's my, my idealistic kind of goal. Um, I don't know if it's ever going to happen because let's face it, these publications are never going to be national geographic or people magazine. They're never going to be that big because the audience isn't there. Um, but I see them growing and I see them getting better. If you look at the issues we did last year versus the issues we did this year, um, you know, 2018, 2019, it's exponential growth, exponential, um, improvement in, editorial content design and i mean it, for me it's a personal goal to just keep pushing myself to say how great can i make this thing yeah yeah um for george my managing editor he wants to squash all the competition but not in a bad way he just <laughs> wants to be the best magazine out yeah. there totally totally you know and you know ryan sparks has been really involved he he's written for every major publication out there um i think he wrote the entire issue of American Angler a couple months ago. Oh, really? um, oh, wow. But yeah, Ryan's been really involved and strong, and um, I think he's going to be moving into a, a more prominent role in 2020. Okay, rad. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really hope that the magazines continue to grow because they're awesome publications. And it's cool. I mean, like you say, year after you find ways to improve and get better. So it's like the magazine's constantly getting better. So for people that subscribe or read, it's like, it's just going to get better, you know? So it's like you kind of have, as a consumer, you have that promise. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of industry knowledge. Yeah. Um, I don't know how, how much research you guys have done into print versus digital, but um, 
I remember three years ago, I was talking to um, Ted Kleiner um, at one of the IFTD shows. He's uh, he's the director of marketing for the Farbank Group for Sage Reddington Real. Right. And Ted, Ted's a great guy, and he's an honest guy, and um, I really enjoy my conversations with him. So we were talking about digital, and he said, you know, our goal is to just be strong in digital. He's like, you know, the, the print market is not what it used to be, and, you know, we just don't have the resources to print advertising. Mm-hmm. My response to him was, you know, let's revisit this in a couple of years because, you know, he's just basing it on what he knows about, you know, their, their sales figures, one company. Um, what he didn't know that um, digital is, is kind of fleeting because it's so saturated because, oh, yeah. you know, anyone, you know, my neighbor could start a magazine right now with the ease of the software. Yeah. So there's all these digital publications out there. There's all this, like, I call it the digital forest yeah. um, because you're just, you know, you're just rooting through all this stuff. And, you know, a month later, you might go to the same website and 50% of the information that was there is gone. So it's not permanent. It's saturated mm-hmm. and it's not high quality. You know, people can, can, if you read stuff online, there's typos, yeah. you know, there's poor grammar, you know, none of it is really edited well. Yeah. So it, it, it's just kind of like, it's the difference between going to a steakhouse and, you know, and going to a fast food drive through Yeah. That's the way I look at it because digital is your fast food drive through but people don't want that. No. People, they want a nice fine steak. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep. 100%. And, um, the, the numbers bear this. Um, so after that conversation with Tag, we had a conversation recently, right before the holidays. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, I gotta say, Prince not dead like we thought. Um, mm-hmm. Prince actually pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And the numbers bear that because the industry numbers show that, um, you know, print media is very desirable and it's growing. There are over 200 launches a month in the United States. And only about 10% of them make it. Yeah. Um, but there, there's still 20 new magazines a month. Yeah, the demand know, is still. Make it in yeah. yeah. And millennials are the uh, are the group that are buying them. They don't mm-hmm. mind spending 12 or $15 on a magazine, yeah. which was, you know, why we went with what we did with Strong. We produced the highest quality, you know, big layout, you know, you know large format magazine that we could do. Mm-hmm. And we gave them the most quality we could, and they're responding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. so ironic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it makes a ton so. of sense. Like, I mean, you know, we work in advertising, and we've been we so we totally get this because it's sort of facing the similar um, things with digital, yeah. um, the saturation of it. I think I think what people thought when you know the internet came out and anybody could publish anything or make anything was accessibility is the most important thing. You know, if people can get to your content, then you'll be successful. But that's not the case. Like, it's people are willing to pay for a premium product because it's a better product. That's what they want to spend their money on. Right. Exactly. So it makes, ton- and that's why, hmm? go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it makes a ton of sense with podcasts too. Cause that's exactly <laughs> what we see. You know, there's so many podcasts out there cause anybody can do it. So it's just a matter of sticking it out and trying to be the best you can be and making it better as you go. And, and, you know, just crossing your fingers in the digital world. It's such a weird space. It really is. And it changes. It's kind of like, um, you, you never know what you're going to get because, yeah. you know, one, one little change, one little update from Apple throws everything off, you know, and there's always technologies that come out. I mean, all these filters came out for Photoshop and they became readily available and all of a sudden everybody was 
posting these edited, you know, like dramatic photos on Facebook. And it just kind of cheapens yeah. everything. When everybody's doing the same thing, it, it kind of cheapens it. So yeah. that's why we have um, Michael Thomas, who's the designer. He's the art director for Kale and Strong. Mm-hmm. And the guy's got more talent. Um, in his little pinky than, you know, <laughs> my entire team has as far as design. I, I mean, the guy's incredible. Yeah, we've noticed. And so, you, you know, I just, I kind of give Michael, we have a we have a meeting before we put an issue together. You know, so we have our sequence, we have, you know, everything blocked out as far as how many, how many pages this article gets and, you know, the allotment, um, how many advertisers we have. So we hash all that out. We make our roadmap and then we have a group meeting and the group meeting is pretty much, um, all right, Mike, take it away. (laughs) And we just let him go. I mean, the guy, he gets a feel for everything. He reads the articles and he really gets to the essence of it. And, and then he pictorially lays it out. And honestly, I think it makes it read a lot better. Mm -hmm. Um, and George agrees. Um, George, the managing editor of um, Kale, I mean, he 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 said that you know even bad articles sometimes not bad but not as good articles um, read better when they're laid out nicely. Yeah, and, um, makes sense. And Mike's doing a great job. Absolutely. So, I think people forget our directors uh, tell their own story, have to tell a story based on how they lay things out visually. It's not just the words. It's it's just everything. Um, from page to page, one to one, you know, visual hierarchy. How it flows. Yeah, it's all, all of that. Um, yeah, and when it works, it really works. Um, yeah. And I've noticed, I mean, Sean Abernathy did a, a stand-up job um, working with Tail, and, you know, he, he kind of stepped away, and, you know, I, I thought it was a big loss, personally, because, you know, Sean was great, um, and, you know, I was actually worried and then Michael stepped in and, and, you know, filled in the role. And I was like, wow, you know, this is, this is, you know, no offense, Sean, but this is a whole nother level of, of design. Right. The talent that and, exists out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, cool. It's awesome. I think it's an important point that you bring up, you know, that like when content became more easy for anyone to make authenticity and honesty in what we produce is that much more important, right? Absolutely. It's gotta be real. So, we do a segment in the show every every single show with the same with the same five questions for our guests, and they're called Mitchie's Fishies Five, um, and that's pretty obviously because my name's Mitchie, and they're fishy questions, and there's five of them. So I'd love to ask you these five questions now, and sure. um, yeah, they're not like you know take your time answering them; they're just five more questions, but really just uh, broader fishing questions. So the first one is, what is your favorite fish and why? We kind of touched on this earlier, but maybe it's changed now. I'm not sure. Well, you know, striped bass are great, and I, I love striped bass, and that's what I grew up fishing. But my favorite fish now, honestly, is the permit. Permit, um, nice. Yeah, okay. permit are, we have them here. Uh, they're in my fishery, and when I go out, I mean, I'll, I'll go past the school bonefish heading to a known permit spot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of stupid. I should probably cast them because they're probably in the five to eight pound range. Yeah. But, um. But yeah, permit. I, I I don't know what it is about permit. It's like that that girl in high school that you you know you're infatuated with, and you know she's just elusive, and you know she's totally aloof, but you, you keep chasing her. Yeah, and that that's what a permit is for me. I, I I don't get it. My wife 
gives me such a hard time about it. She's like, do you know how much money you've spent flying around the world fishing for permit? And I said, yep, and I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> so, That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I've heard yeah. that about permit, you know? They're just such an incredible fish. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I'm actually heading to um, to Turnip Flats at the end of the month, and oh, nice. I'm going to do three days of permit fishing, and I got a solo skiff, just me, so I get all the shots. It's, oh, it's kind of my... Yeah, my nice. I need a break trip. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's going to be sweet. It's your leave me alone trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I won't be bringing my phone, needless to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so number two is, um, and maybe this is what you just said, but if you could fish anywhere in the world right now, where would you go and why would you go there? Anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world. Yeah, and let's assume um, it's like the best time to go to that place. Okay. And could it be a place I've already been to? Yep, totally. Okay. So I, I fished the Maldives um, about eight years ago. Really? And, I, and the Maldives are incredible. Yeah. Um, oh I would go back there mainly because it, it's almost untapped. There are so many islands in this archipelago. And, you know, there's, there's places you can go where people haven't even gone yet. Um, you know, they're... they're unmanned islands and there's there's places where there's no resorts it's just incredible um everywhere i went you know the the minute i jumped into the water off the dive boat yeah it was like something i've never seen before i mean the reef is just incredible and it's teeming with life um so i would go there because i had you know I had no guide, you know, they, they basically troll Rapala lures there. Right. They, they know nothing about fly fishing. Right. Um, so without any assistance, I've managed to, to fish and catch fish every day there because it, they're just everywhere. I mean, there's GT, there's bonefish, there's, you know, there's all kinds of other trevally, golden trevally and blue trevally. So it's just an amazing fishery and I would love to explore it more. Yeah, man, it sounds like paradise. Jeez. It's uh, it's on my bucket list. I never thought of it to go fishing, but it's definitely a honeymoon destination for me. For me, <laughs> but I'm yeah, che- I'm, well, che- I'm cheesy, so a honeymoon destination. <laughs> my mind, I got a girlfriend first. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um. Okay. So yeah. number three, then, uh, it is. What is your best fishing memory? Best fishing memory. Best fishing memory. God, there's so many. Yeah. Um, my. Man, that's a tough one. And it, you sent me that question. You sent me your fishy five via email, and I thought about it. And <laughs> I was ready, and now I'm not ready. But um, you know, I would have to say one one of the best trips ever was uh, we went out to Cabo. It was John Melfi, um, and my wife came along. Yeah. And my wife doesn't go on a lot of fishing trips, so all the trips with her are pretty memorable. Yeah. Um, but this one was pretty special because um. You know, I had, you know, my best friend and my best friend, you know, I had my wife and, and John there and we, we hooked up on a striped marlin after like struggling for three what? days to catch a striped marlin. Yeah. Oh my God. And it was an amazing fish too. It wasn't a little guy. It was over 150 pounds. <laughs> and Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. So, but that trip was just like, it was kind of a magical trip. I mean, we... Everywhere we went, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to try for some yellowfin today. I mean, the, the tuna were just jumping out of the water. I oh, mean, man. there were bottlenose dolphin, um, you know, and, and the, the, 
they were chasing the boat. So I have, I mean, everything that could have been picturesque and beautiful. Um, and, you know, everything you think about when you go on one of these trips that you want to see, we saw. Yeah. And that trip was just super special. Oh, man. And we caught a shitload of fish, <laughs> which was great. That's so good. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we people. got into mahi that were, yeah, that were about five feet long. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> so God. It, I know. It was pretty incredible. I mean, you, you couldn't ask for a better trip. Good people, good food, good fish. It yeah. was kind of the perfect trip. Oh, man. Oh, sounds amazing. Yeah. Those are the trips you live for, you know, the ones you look back on forever and just. just remember that time? Yeah. So cool. On the way back in, when we were coming back to the marina after the marlin, yeah. um, um, they're not sea otters. I guess they're seals. Um, okay. Um, but jumped up on the back of the boat, on the what? charter boat, and we were hand-feeding them. Yeah, what? I'll send you guys pictures That's if so you want. Fun. Oh, yeah, 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 please do. That'd be great. Absolutely. That's yeah, you awesome. know how the, 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 we were on a Beltram, I, and, um, and you know how they had the step on the back. Yeah. So... Mm. He jumped up on the step with his, with his flippers and you know head head over the uh, back of the boat, and you know it, we were just feeding them the uh, the bait, you know that, that we were using for, to to feed them in. It's so great. Cool. That is so cool. <laughs> oh my God, the dogs of the so cool of the ocean. <laughs> That's awesome. That's what they were, man. Yeah. <laughs> so number four, Mitchie's Fishies Five is why do you fly fish? Why do you fly fish? I think it's for the challenge of it. Um, I I think I touched on this earlier, but, um, you know, anybody can put a, put a shrimp on a hook and throw it out there. Um, something will eat it. And I, I I think the the fly fishing, it's challenging. Um, you know, you don't always make the perfect cast. You don't always have the ideal, you know, alignment. And, you know, the fish don't always cooperate. They might be moving one direction. And this is one of the things I love about permit. Totally changed direction for no reason. It's like, what just happened? They were coming toward us. Now they're going away. Wow. And I, I think I like the fact that it's unpredictable, unpredictable and yeah. it's hard, you know, and you have to be, you have to be on your game. You know, you, you can't throw a shitty cast out there and expect to catch, you know, 150 pound tarpon. Yeah. You know, you, you have to do everything right. The stars have to align. And, and I think, you know, it's um, it's that moment that keeps me coming back. It's like, you know, that time where you throw that 90-foot cast and, you know, you put it right on the nose and, and you get to eat. It's like, yeah, you know, that's... you're going to tell your kid that story, you know, for 50 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a memorable moment for sure. Absolutely. Everything so I, paying I, I think, off. Yeah. I think it's the culmination of, you know, after you, you practice your cast, you line everything up, you know, you get your boat ready or jump on a skiff, whichever, mm-hmm. um, and you get out there and you're successful. I think that's like the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, everything you've worked for comes to fruition. Yeah. So I think that's why I do it. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, that's, I love that feeling. Yeah. Um, so number five of the Mitchie's Fishies five, what fly pattern represents you best and why? If you were a fly, what would you be? I'm excited for this answer. Well, my initial response is I'm a toad, but um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> just because it sounds good. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I would say I'm a clouser. Yeah. Um, nice. And the reason why I, I would say clouser is because it's versatile, um, and you know, it, it, you can catch anything with a clouser. 
Yeah. And I somehow figured out a way to go to art school, then medical school, then launch a publishing company. And, you know, I, I think being flexible um, and, you know, yeah. um, agile, for lack of a better word, is probably why I took Clouser. That makes a ton of sense to me. I mean, yeah, like you've done a ton of stuff in your life and you keep doing it. And yeah, Clouser Minnow, that's, I think that's probably what I would pick uh, after talking to you today <laughs> for you. <laughs> Absolutely. So, cool. Well, Joseph, thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. Like, that was some wicked conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks yeah, for having me. Definitely, I first, appreciate it. First publisher we've had yeah. on the show, and also thanks for putting us in your magazine. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Honestly, uh, well, honestly, guys, your photos and and your write up was great, and wicked. I hope to see more of it coming our way. I think we have your Texas piece lined up. Yep. As yeah. Well, yes. For tail. Yeah, yeah, which will be, and, which will be uh, great. I think you guys ought to come down to Florida, and I'll I'll show you my fishery. Oh, uh, sounds awesome! I to mean, us. sounds good to us. Like I I try to get to. I've got a friend in Isla Morada, and I go down there. I've been down there two or three times, but yeah, would be love to fish with you down in Miami. It'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And well, that- just to give you some perspective, um, we can be in Isla Morada in about um, an hour and a half by by boat. So, oh, wow. Crazy. It's amazing. From where I launch, yeah, Key Largo is about 48 minutes away, mm-hmm. just jet oh, wow. straight south. Jesus. And, yeah, so if you guys want to hit the fishery, we can pretty much fish from Isla Morada on up. You can even go up to the Everglades if you want. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah, sounds yeah, good. Yeah, we'd love yeah. that. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yeah, we'll definitely, we'll definitely give you an email after this. Yes, we're coming tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we're, look, like, we're looking outside right. at, at, at like a torrential downpour, which is strange for January. This should be snow. So mm-hmm. we're like, oh, Miami sounds pretty yep. good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, doors open, guys. So awesome. you let me know. Is there anything you want to leave uh, with our listeners? Any any upcoming things for Taylor Strung you want to just say? Maybe where they can find it? Um, or... Yeah. Um, for the listeners that may be hearing this that do not subscribe, um, mm-hmm. we have a, a special um, trial offer that's going on for um, for Tail and Strung. You can get um, half a year for $10. bucks. Um, so you get three issues of Tail or three oh, issues amazing. of Strung for 10 yeah, and we figure once we um, once we get people to uh, to flip through the pages, they're 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 going to love it and they're going to subscribe. So yeah. we're doing that um, all year. And um, also, if you're fishy and you have some good content, you have a good story, um, send it our way because we're always looking for content. We don't need you know nationally known writers. Um, our magazine's always been for the people by the people. So you know, if you have good stuff, send it in. Awesome. That's wicked. Well, thank you so much, Joseph, for coming on the show today. Um, it was amazing. It was super fun. And, um, yeah, just can't thank you enough. Well, thank you, guys. Yeah. And uh, I hope you make it through the weekend and uh, don't get too wet up there. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks. We'll try our best. All right. Well, cheers. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Cool. So that was Dr. Joseph Ballerini. Yeah. Editor in chief of Tail and Strung, yeah. founder of Tail and Strung. Yeah, mm-hmm. imagine being a doctor and also starting two magazines. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's like I like what he's saying where he wants to take the magazine to make it more mm-hmm. full time thing because you know obviously what he does is like a, his day job is extremely stressful. So yeah, super cool. I mean, it's awesome. I love seeing when people 
create stuff in their in their passion follow their passions to create th- content things that people can enjoy it's Absolutely. so inspirational it, it reminds me of three guys that i know yeah oh, oh my god <laughs> they're sitting right here oh, oh wow <laughs> i mean but it is like yeah it is pretty inspiring to like see somebody who succeeded and been yeah. like oh okay you you can i mean we're doing this in our part time mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so. exactly i think if you have uh, any kind of desire to create something in the fly fishing space and and you want to spread the message of you know protect the environment be a good steward be nice on the river do it just go for it you know yeah. it's i think it, i think joseph's a great testament to that why wait too public he didn't know anything about creating magazine literally not anything and he has two now that are across you know north america all online like it's awesome yeah that gave me a lot of faith actually yeah, yeah. 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 Me too. <laughs> that was yeah, like i was like inspiring. okay cool yeah because yeah. yeah. you eventually learn yeah. you do you exactly. do if I mean, you want to if you want to you work at it and yeah. that's it well, it was a great show. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I'm going to shamelessly plug ourselves. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're in the January issue of Tail Magazine. Yeah. Uh, it's all about our trip down to Mexico. Um, the photos are all from our good buddy, Joel. It was his birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Joel. Happy birthday, Joel. Happy birthday, Hope you're living it up Joel. out west. Uh, so, you, Joel actually was the guy who made the connection to Tail. Yes, for, thank you, For Joel. us, so thank for you for that. introducing us. Yeah, so he introduced us to Joseph because Joel is also... In Strong Magazine, he has an article in um, about uh, a trip he took in the Yukon fishing for grayling with mm-hmm. some buddies. Um, and those photos are beautiful, just as beautiful as the ones. Check them out. Check, check them out. out. And check, check out, out the Tulum article written mm-hmm. by Aldo. Yilma's on the, casting away in the yeah, photos. Yeah, Yilma, you're like, it's a two-page spread like it's to introduce DPS, the man. article. Like, then it's just you, baby. Absolutely. So I mean, cool. you're like fly fishing like... Well, man. Uh, man. Fly fishing man. <laughs> Fly fishing man. <laughs> the FMs. Well, I mean, they give it to Joel. I mean, if it wasn't for him, it wouldn't have looked so good. Yeah. True that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Cool. Well, that's it for me, Mitch. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. And um, we hope that you really enjoyed the show. Um, Aldo? Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I'm going to finish my 40 Creek and uh, say goodbye. Cheers, brother. Oh, yeah. You're not going to have one more after this? Let's have one well, more. Stick around, the, have one I more. The, I don't want the public to know. But yeah, okay, fine. Let's fine. stick around, have one more. One we'll more. do a little one, talking. One more little cup of pot still. Cup of pot still. Maybe smoke a cigar. Oh, Ooh, baby. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I don't want to go outside, so we might as well have another <laughs> Let's drink. Let's just wait it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening, and take care. You can find all of SoFly's content at SoFly.ca. On Instagram, we're at the SoFly Crew. You can reach us at thesoflycrew at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or concerns. On Facebook, we're SoFly, and our podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify.